welcome to the Volrath Feed, where we talk about the world of commercial food service and everything related to it. We talk to top chefs, we discuss current events, and we have guests that work in the many areas of the industry, and it's a very big, wide open topic, so we've got a lot of interesting things going on. I'm your host, Rich Rupp, product trainer and chef at the Volrath Company. And as always, I have our producer, Justin Pearson, with us today. Justin, how are you? Doing all right, Rich. Yourself? I'm doing all right. So today we're going to have a chef on the show. And do you ever go online and, and look at, just real quick, uh, like anything, in, like recipes and reviews? Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> right? You're... I, I try to avoid the reviews because that, that rabbit hole goes down deep and dark sometimes. Yeah, right. And... My wife looks on it a lot for inspiration, sometimes just a, like I say, an inspiration for what to do for dinner one night or something, right? So right. a funny story, we were looking at uh, pizzas the other day, pizza crusts. And uh, you know when you read a review and someone will say, well, I, d- I made this recipe, but I did this and I did this and I did this different and I added more of this. It's almost like, no, you didn't do the recipe, right? It's just something completely different by the end of what they're saying right right exactly and so this particular one went on and on and there was one person who replied and said something like well this one's okay but i wake i I make way better pizzas than this but this one's good okay if you're in a rush or something like that it was and the author wrote back on a term i'd never heard before but they said that's a compusult if i've ever heard one oh compusult yeah compusult that was just unique (laughs) One one part compliment, one part insult. <laughs> yeah, I, I just I thought that was funny. Like that's exactly what that person did, right? They're like, well, this is okay, but uh, I make way better ones than this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, yeah. you know, pizza crust. I mean, that's just that's so broad. You know, mm-hmm. it's such a wide spectrum of of various textures, flavors, and right. And I, there's no right answer there. So I mean. Yeah, no, I I love making my own crust. I I kind of got my recipe narrowed down, but I mean they're they're simple. They can be very simple. Like mine is just bread flour, right. salt, water, yeast. That's it. And in my opinion, that's what a good crust should be. And then it's all technique after that. Right now you're hitting on it exactly. So you ferment it. You like it. I leave mine in the refrigerator for three days, and I get a little fermentation going on it, so it's got a little bit more flavor. And then, um, yeah, after that, it's just how you cook it, right? So a little wood-fired oven or something like that. But anyway, it is it is a very simple thing, but yet you can do a lot with it by just those techniques of you know, how do you let it sit and ferment. And mm-hmm. Well, speaking of pizza crust, I, I was shooting some photos and videos yesterday in, in one of the test kitchens at Volrath, and I noticed this, this instrument. I'm like, well, what the heck is this? It was long. And it had a little fork on it at the end. I'm like, oh, it's it's a bubble popper. Right. And then, then I was talking with a coworker, and they're like, yeah, apparently, though, good pizza crust shouldn't have bubbles. Have you heard that before? I don't know. Heard- I like a little bit of, not big bubbles, you're right, but I like the crust to have a little bit of airiness to it. Not like a bread airiness, but like right. bigger voids than, say, a bread crust. Right. But- I, I, I like that, too. Yeah. I, I, little bit here and there because mm-hmm. allows for some different textures and some right. airiness, some crisp areas. Yes. Um, but in the middle, you're right. No, you don't want that to have a bubble. No, no, no. Yeah. 
So, yeah, yeah a professional tool used, or a uh, commercial-grade tool to use to pop the bubbles. <laughs> the professional <laughs> bubble popper. It's real. Yes, it I is. can handle that job. That's that's a gig for me. Yeah. <laughs> Make a career out of doing that job. It's as important as the peel or anything else, I think, really, when you, yeah. when you break it down. And I know a lot of times if I make a, a, a pizza that doesn't have a lot of toppings, so you can get those bubbles. Yeah. Because the heat is then getting through the top and cooking the crust. If you don't put any toppings at all on a pizza crust, it'll puff up. So the crusts insulate the top until it cooks to a point where it kills off the yeast and then you don't get any more um, uh, production of, of the of the yeast. So, yeah, a lot going on there. A lot yeah. of science. More yeah, than people a, lot, realize. a lot of science behind the scenes. and. Talking about science and behind the scenes, you know, it kind of brings us to how does one learn the science right. behind? I mean, there's a lot of tools out there for oh. a person to self-educate. More than ever. And and really learn the the techniques and the tools of the trade. But what is still the best method to to learn the culinary arts? Well, you know, there's no doubt. I mean, when we... On the feed, we talk world of food service. And we say that, I think a lot of people immediately think about the food and, and the restaurant, but there are so many other areas to food service. We've had some guests on, and the part side of it, we've had um, auto quotes on, you know, the way that the dealers buy the products and things for it. But, you know, the chefs are really, when you think about that heart and soul of the kitchen, you know, they, there's a lot of ways that people can go about that. There's, there's those people that at a very young age, they just know that's what they want. Mm-hmm. And then there are people who maybe it's their first job and they, you know, in a restaurant, there's a lot of entry level. So from there they look at, oh, look at those guys or ladies in the kitchen there. That's, that looks like a great job and they're you know, respected in the kitchen or in the, in the business. So that might drive them to become a chef. And like you said, there's a lot of stuff available now to learn through mentors, uh, online cooking shows, by the dozens that are always on any time of day or night yeah. on the Food Channel. But for those people that really want the classic education side of it, it's culinary school, right? They want that right. formal training. They want to learn standardized methods, techniques, terminology, so that in a recipe of a classically trained chef and they mention a certain term that they know what that means and how to do it, right? I mean, but at the end of the day, and it sounds kind of corny, but the proof is really in the pudding, right? It's like <laughs> yeah. if the guy makes a great whatever, yeah. I don't care if he learned it from working at home or culinary school, if you're putting that product out and it tastes great, that's what people want. Mm-hmm. I'd like to compare it to music. You know, there's There are a lot of amazing musicians out there, world-renowned, that have performed everywhere for millions of people over their careers. And there's some that can't point out uh, the name of a note on a page. You know, the, so it's, it's kind of compared to, to cooking like that. If you are just naturally good at what you do and you practice a lot and you've had good tutelage along the way, um, good mentors, um, you don't need that classic education to become a master at your craft. No, you're right. I mean, for people who have that talent, that just... in talent that's in them that doesn't need that formal education be it in music or in cooking you know you can you can be a great artist in cooking in the kitchen or on the stage and not have any formal education with it whatsoever 
But what the education side allows is people who don't have the raw talent to develop a level of right. proficiency that they can work in that area, right, and, and be legit at it. Yeah, and that's that's what education to me is designed to do. It gives you a safe place to fail so that you can learn from those failures and grow in your craft and get better at what you do because you can't always do that on the job. You're not allowed to to fail and learn from those failures because you're in a profit-driven industry and you're continually screwing things up and taking you a while to learn. Well, you're not going to be in that business for very long. Well, I can tell you there's a lot of failures that happen in restaurants all the time. It's just a fact. I mean, you turn your back for too long and something burns in the pan. Yeah. The worst thing you can do is serve it. Right. That's the worst. The best right. thing is just eat the loss, throw it out, start over, and make sure that every plate that goes out to a guest is is good, is what you want, is what you want it to be. And in today's world with social media especially, mm. you know, they can be so quick to post that on whatever platform and, and run you down. Yeah. And uh, honestly, if you put something out that's like burnt or visually unappealing, everyone can look at that and say, well, yeah, you're right. But if it just doesn't taste right and it looks great, well, that's a little harder argument maybe for everyone to accept, right? But so anyway, there's, there's a lot of things going on there. So talking about, though, our desire for formalized training in either music or in the kitchen leads us to our, our guest today, right? Paul Short, Chef Paul Short, who is our program director, or excuse me, the program chair at Madison Area Technical College here in Wisconsin, Madison, Wisconsin. And, um, you know, he's here today to talk to us a little bit about his program and what they're doing at the school. So a little bit later, we'll have Paul on the show. Yeah. I'm very curious to to hear about how culinary technical schools work. I, I worked in higher ed for almost 10 years. And it'll be interesting to see the difference. And I have um, lots of great things to say about our higher education and, and lots of critiques as well. Um, I've, I've never been a fan of, of taking classes that, number one, I may not be interested at all. Uh, and True. Two, they have no weight in what I'm you know, going for. They, they're, they're just filler classes or helping a some dean make boat payments i don't know you know paying for those classes but they make you more well-rounded justin yeah yeah i, I know i know and <laughs> i was the same as you when i was in in school and some of those classes i just you know, like you i didn't want to take them but yet yes they do they make you a more well-rounded well, individual yeah I, yeah a lot of those classes i just like did a massive brain wipe at the end of that semester <laughs> as soon as that final was done it was just like and it, I didn't even do it purposefully. It was just subconsciously. It's like, all right, get that out of the way. <laughs> Make room for something else. You know, you think that. And then I, I, I have to admit this, though. I was at the restaurant working, and we had a, a, a light. No, it was a vent. It was an air vent over the bar that needed to be cleaned on the back wall of the bar, like up high. So we were trying to figure out how we could have a ladder uh, far enough away from the wall that we could lean it against and clean that vent. And the bar was, it's a permanent bar right attached to the floor, so many feet away from the wall. So I was thinking, well, the ladder had to come back so far before we could put the feet on the ground and then it had to extend up to the height of the vent. And I was looking at that and I actually used math. I actually <laughs> used how long, I think it was the Pythagorean theorem, it was A squared, B squared plus C squared, where C squared was gonna be my uh, ladder. 
I want to know how long that ladder had to be. I used math. Can you believe you it? Used math. I wow. used math. Bravo. <laughs> Algebra, to be exact, isn't that something? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that practical math, though, is yes. I suppose it's always that's always good good information to have. And yeah, um, I've always been a fan of apprenticeships and mentorship programs, and I, I truly believe that a, a, any given person can learn almost any job out there without a formal education and just through learning from an expert or master. And mm -hmm. I get the, the, the feeling that that's kind of what a culinary school uh, is, would be like. So, yeah, I'm really uh, excited to, to hear from Paul and see how their programs work, what uh, types of classes they have and training, and then um, how that prepares them for career in food service. Right. So in, in prep for this show... I did a little search on Google, ah. and I found out some famous chefs that have gone to culinary and have not gone to culinary school. Ooh, this this should be Let's, good. Let, was, let me let me just run some by, and you tell me what you think here. Okay. And uh, so, am I am I supposed to guess here? You're or? guessing yes, school or no? Oh, they did not go to school. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. We'll first, see up. how much I embarrass myself. All right, so let's start out with um, let's start out with. A, a big name, maybe the okay. biggest brand right now of chefs out there. Gordon Ramsay. Gordon Ramsay, yeah, of course. Um, gosh, you know, with the way he runs his mouth, you think he <laughs> he he was a formal faculty at a culinary school. <laughs> um, I'm going to say yes. He's had formal training. He has not. Has not. Chef Ramsay has not. He is. Uh, taught himself through working at places and um, watching and learning and I'm sure reading and yeah he is not that's a surprise isn't it that is a surprise I thought I thought he was all right okay very well, successful right I'm over one let's, let's keep it going <laughs> let's throw another one at you here then how about um, pretty well known guy here Bobby Flay now I'm I'm pretty sure that that he has had uh, professional or, or uh, schooling. Towards uh, his his knowledge base there. You would be right. Okay. Bobby right. Flay has ding, attended ding. culinary school. How about this name? Here's a big one for you. Julia Child. Oh, I do know this one. She famously went to school at, at a later stage in life. Oh, now you know more there than I do. But yes, she did. Absolutely culinary school graduate. Yeah, yeah. All right, a couple more here. Just uh, want right, to get a couple right. big names here. Giada De Laurentiis. Giada, definitely not. Oh, nope, she did. Really? Yes, yes. Really? Yep. Oh, okay, well, there big you go. wrong on me there. <laughs> uh, Mario Batali? Mario, definitely. Oh, yeah, he did. He did. He's he's famous for other reasons at the moment, but uh, right. we won't go into yeah. that. Yeah. How about uh, this name here? Um Emeril Lagasse. Emeril had to have been classically trained. Yeah, Emeril, of course. Yeah. He went to school. I think he was a, a CIA graduate, maybe, or some one of, yeah. one of the well-known schools. How about Mr. Triple D himself, Mr. Triple Guy Fieri? Drive-ins and dives. Yeah, it's him, yes. <laughs> what do you think? Oh, yeah. Um, my, my gut's telling me that he has had some training, but... I don't know. That could go either way. I, I'm going to say he has, though, and he's just broken away from everything. You would be <laughs> he's, wrong. He's oh, not. He's not. He is he not. Just, he, he, just, he, he was born in a diner. 
Actually, I, I think the story for him is that uh, he entered a, a contest as a um, next Food Network star or something. Oh, yeah. And he won the contest. Personality, I think, went a long way on that one. He's entertaining to watch, right? He is, yeah. All right. How about um, Ina Garden? Ina Garden. This one I do think I know. I believe that she does not have any classical training. Uh, she's just done a lot herself uh, you, over the You would years. be right. Yep. Okay. Yep. Restaurants, successful shows on television, very, very popular. Yeah. Very good. I, my wife loves her, and I, I think a lot of her stuff is is really good, good cooking, you know, very yeah. good, flavorful cooking. The Barefoot Contessa. So, Justin, you know, we've been talking a lot now here about chefs and, and culinary school and not culinary school, so I think it's a good time here to bring in our guest for today, Chef Paul Short, who is the program chair at Madison Area Technical College here in Madison, Wisconsin, and find out more about how the uh, MATC Culinary School educates our future chefs. So, Chef uh, Paul, welcome to the show today. Appreciate you taking time with us here. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, I'm happy to uh, be a part of this. Yeah, we, we appreciate it. We've been talking a lot about culinary schools and uh, famous chefs that have and have not gone and <laughs> It's just interesting that, um, you know, with all the different ways in our industry, I think people have their start, right? Some people, you get a job as a young kid and you get your start there. Other people from their earliest memory, they want to be a chef. And um, yet others later in life decide that's their route. So, you know, what do you see a lot in, in your students? How do you see a lot of people getting into the industry? Is it is it that varied or is there one kind of that dominates the others? Um, so basically what I've been witnessing for a number of years now is that um, because food became popular um, uh, you know where we're at especially the the Madison scene um, the farm-to-table movement uh, was really taken off um, in fact even during COVID it has really um, exploded in a lot of different ways and um, people are now um, there's a real strong trend for doing it yourself, cooking your own food, uh, even butchering animals, baking, sourdough, all of those things have become really big. And I see a lot of students now that have an interest uh, not only in the restaurant scene, but in food in general. They, they really want to learn um, the whole aspect of it. From the business side to the cooking side to um, you know, there, there's just so much more out there. And you know, if you look at what uh, social media did, um, it's kind of the catalyst, much like the Food Network was. Um, we had that food, the Food Network explosion, and all of a sudden everybody wanted to be a celebrity chef, uh, <laughs> which was silly. But now, uh, what we're seeing because of social media is a whole bunch of people that are interested in things like fermentation, um, you know, and exploring new dishes and understanding uh, a whole lot of different culinary techniques. And um, so I see a different student today based on the knowledge that they want to learn and the source of where that uh, came from and social media has got to be a huge part of that so are you seeing then that people want to learn it because of their curiosity and not necessarily the idea that that's what they want to do for a career yeah you know it's kind of interesting um i mean there's a lot of people that are very interested in doing it for a career don't get me wrong um it's just that that career path is starting to change um we are really seeing 
people exploring a lot of different options, um, especially now too. I mean, after what's all happened, uh, uh, you know, our industry as a whole has uh, been flipped upside down um, like no other time in my entire career. Um, <clears throat> we're watching uh, uh, well-established restaurants that can't get back up there they're they're really f trying to figure out what to do next meanwhile you have a lot of people that are interested in uh, preparing food for um, people that uh, need it um, you know, for a whole different class of people uh, food pantries uh, school services um, I mean it's really incredible to see um, this, this this rise of, of wanting to do something for their fellow men and food is a way of getting there, and that, I'm seeing a lot of that. Oh, a lot of our guests that we've had on the show so far this year, uh, that's what they're doing right now. They're, they're giving back. They're finding ways to, to feed people, to bring people um, uh, fresh-made meals that are nutritious and help them along, right? Because it's, of the time we're in it, like you said, unprecedented in, in anyone's lifetime. It's just a crazy, crazy thing. Oh, indeed. So that's, that's really unique that people are – I shouldn't say unique, but really – heartwarming that people are doing that right that's what their their thoughts are is to yeah help you know it's um i mean even you know people that are um probably could use some of the help themselves are out there doing it for others um i mean mm -hmm. it's really something to see that and um and then there's this this growth of um self-sufficiency do it yourself grow your food raise your food all of those things have become uh, very popular um, when, uh, this whole thing broke out, um, I saw, uh, a Facebook page for, um, connecting people with Wisconsin farmers. And in a single day, that page grew by 500 people and, and it's even more than that now. And what it does is it actually connects people who never knew that they could just buy direct from a farm. And, um, and it's, it's mind blowing, uh, because what, what you're seeing is, um, a door that had been closed for who knows why. Um, but for some reason now, uh, people realize, Hey, I can buy directly from the farm. And this is super important because, uh, when, uh, the, the, the meat packing plants all of a sudden were shutting down, um, <clears throat> yeah, you can't milk is being dumped, all of these things that are happening, the farmers were losing uh, sources to sell to. And now there's a little bit of light there where people can go on their social media and they can uh, contact a farmer and they can buy a whole pig, half a pig, or a side of beef, quarter beef, whatever they're looking for. Um, they can buy uh, vegetables, anything they want, right there on social media. Um, so... Um, Paul, is this group uh, Farm Direct yes. Wisconsin? Yes, it is. I uh, just checked it, and it's over 48,000, 49,000 members right now. Right. I mean, it's been it's... on a month, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I just requested to join. <laughs> you should. <laughs> That's awesome. So are you teaching at the school these I, I think you have a garden, I would imagine, like a, a garden at the school. I think I've seen some clips of you with uh, some <laughs> students out in the garden. <laughs> we do a little research here. You know, we don't go in this totally blind. So, yeah, I think I, uh, that. And do you teach? How far do you teach in the butchery and all that kind of stuff? Okay. So uh, let's start with the garden. Um, first of all, 
we for two years we had a huge garden for the culinary program that basically I grew that during the summertime and then I would bring students out to help me harvest it um, then all that food would be brought back to the program this year unfortunately that didn't happen um, just well everything happened um, and then um, so that is going to come back we just have to figure out a different spot and how we're going to get it done the meat cutting we do teach it in fact we have a brand new program and because of covid believe it or not um it's going to be up and running this year um we we really were struggling to get students to take this as a program um, because you are learning um literally off the farm to the butcher shop how, how to process meat and you know not the most sexy job for some people but that farm direct facebook page um the farmers the problem they have is they have nowhere to take the meat to be processed um it's a literal uh funnel system if you will uh, on both ends uh so the farmer has to book them out months in advance sometimes years in advance to get in with their product and they have to hold those dates and they better bring something to, to be processed at that time and on the other side, you have uh, people that want to buy that meat. Um, all the people on Farm Direct, they want to buy this meat, right? But the processing, where do you go so that the two can finish out the task of one buying the meat and the other one getting it processed? Um, so I started posting comments about the program on there um, about, you know, people wanting to learn how to do it so they could process their own. So I said, hey, we got this great program at MATC. And then we also have uh, uh, meat cutters from around the state of Wisconsin knew about the program that started spreading the word as well. And it literally has uh, opened up the door and we're finally going to be able to run this one-year technical diploma on how to process whole animals. So we're really excited about that. It's what is the job market the, looking like for, for a professional butcher? <laughs> well, see, that's another interesting thing. Um, it depends. It depends where you're working, who you're working for, and, and those kinds of things. But I suspect that um, this particular industry has a, a value added that we're not even seeing yet. Um, simply because we have uh, a lot of farms that have meat or animals that need to be processed. And uh, right now they're limited by where they can go. And so if we can get more people to go through this program and actually set up shop, um, they could actually do pretty well. Uh, the western part of the state, for example, if you're raising uh, poultry, you travel 100 miles to go have those birds processed, 100 miles back, and then most of them drive into Madison to sell them. Hmm. So the, the, the footprint to get that done is crazy. And so I, I suspect that uh, we could see um, some changes in the whole industry as a whole uh, for processing animals and what kind of uh, uh, pay that that will represent for somebody that's interested in doing it. Um, I think it's got a lot of growth potential. Sounds really interesting. You said it's a one-year degree? Yep. And, and then with that degree, are they certified or what allows them to, <laughs> to sell? Uh, I, I sense there's more to the story coming. <laughs> no, no, uh, no. Um, so we've been working with uh, uh, the UW uh, meat science program uh, to help us build this program. 
and um, they're really on board with us doing this. Um, there really isn't anywhere you can go and learn how to do this. Um, and so, uh, at least within our state here, for sure, there's nowhere to go. Um, and so, you don't need to be certified in the industry to cut meat or to be a butcher. That's not a prerequisite. Um, maybe someday, I don't know. Um, but what you need is um, knowledge of, uh, back knowledge of things like HACCP. Um, uh, it, that's really important, especially if you're going to do any kind of packaging. Um, you're going to need to know that. And that's a class we're going to offer in the program as well. And uh, I, I would also say that after uh, completing our one-year program, and if somebody's actually working in the industry um, at a butcher shop or wherever, uh, they could also eventually go on and get the um, uh, UW Meat Science Certificate if they wanted something along those lines. But for the person that comes in and takes this, they're going to learn how um, the harvesting process takes place. They'll actually be a part of that. Um, not not for the faint of heart for some people, um, but at the same time, they'll get a chance to learn that as well. Then they'll, they'll learn how to break down the whole animal, it's, uh, beef, pork, lamb, um, poultry, um, all of those. They'll learn how to break them all down uh, from to their primals, to their subprimals, to their fabricated cuts. Um, and what's significant about that too is that um, as a chef, um, the way I bought my meat, what I, what I purchased, um, there were some very specific standards I always wanted. And one was what was called from the NAMP guide, North American meat, uh, uh, producers. Um, that was my, my go-to whenever I wanted to order meat because that met my specifications. And that is exactly the way we're going to teach this is, um, <clears throat> those cuts are exactly what they're going to learn how to do. Uh, I think that's super important because I think transparency in ordering meat is significant. Um, and it's something that we are, are going to strive for with our, with this program in particular. Rich and I, we were talking earlier about in some other higher education, you know, state college or something like that, or, or some other university, uh, where you got to take all your gen eds and everything and, and maybe a lot of classes to, uh, I'm air quoting, uh, well round you and, um, but you might not necessarily ever use again or want to take and have nothing to do with your degree. So with, uh, this certificate, this butchery certificate, uh, do they have to learn how to write papers? Do they have to, uh, <laughs> learn, um, some trigonometry or, <laughs> or is it just uh, right to the point? This is where we're going. This is how we're going to get there. Yeah, no, uh, it's not about writing papers. <laughs> um, so we 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 struggled uh, with uh, at first um, of what this this program was going to look like for curriculum wise, and I'm I'm not going to lie. At the beginning, I think we put way too much into the program as far as academics and, and what the expectations were be to come out of the program. And because we were getting nowhere with that, we uh, reconvened and said, we've got to change this. So we scaled it back a little bit, and then we still weren't getting nowhere. And so finally, last year, um, I got state approval to really scale it way down. 
Now we have two classes that are online um, that someone might question, but they are called uh, entrepreneurship. And um, really what they're designed for is to help someone who wanted to actually be a startup and, and sell meat and mm. process meat. Um, um, and so it's a good, they're two good business classes, if you will, that you would be taking that would offer you some, probably some really valuable information as far as uh, the process for starting up a business of any kind, actually. Um, so the first one is, is just any kind of business, but the second one is a focus on perhaps opening up a butcher shop uh, in particular. So, um, you know, and I, I totally get the, the higher ed, academia, extra classes, psychology, and all the other classes that students take. But in, in particular, we wanted this program to be um, down and dirty, get it done, and, and walk away with valuable stuff. So yeah. uh, we moved uh, any classes that could that were not lab classes to online. Um, as you know, much as some people hate online classes, this will work because we have farmers that might want to take it. We have people that are working full-time jobs that might want to take it, and uh, they don't have time to drive into Madison to go take classes. And so this would free up a lot of that. And right. so basically, they would only have to come to campus. I think it's like two days a week at best um, and and that would be for the actual knife in hand let's cut some meat classes um, but otherwise yeah oh, we're that's... not we're not gonna make you go take a class that you're like why am i sitting here <laughs> <laughs> i appreciate that a lot so that 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 program then will be a one-year program yep and are parts of that then now because your 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 other culinary program the full-on yep. culinary program is that's a two-year is that a two-year program so, uh, yes, we're a two-year associate degree, um, but we're also embedded. And what that means is that if students finish a, uh, an entire semester, they'll get a certificate. If they finish one year, they'll get a technical diploma. And if they finish the two years, they get the associate degree. Um, okay. That way, if they job out, they're not being penalized. That's a good yeah. idea, right? Since that's the goal, I mean, to get them a good job. and Yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. If opportunity comes around and you, you don't want to pass it by, you have an option there, right? That's a good good plan. Well, and not only that, but um, they can come back. Mm -hmm. You know, so if they if they find that, um, yeah, it was a great opportunity, but I want to finish this degree, they just plug right back in and continue on. Do you find a lot of students take advantage of that? I, I went to, uh, and I think we have this in common maybe, I went to school UW-Stout. Yep. You as well, right? I, I, I did some classes up there, yep. Yep, and uh, one of the things I think I always noticed was that the the students that were out in the workforce and came back to school, they were always there. They were always r better students. It seemed like they were there. They knew why they were there. They weren't like the student that just went from high school to college because that was the next step kind of thing, right? Once they went out and they came back, they were really a good student. Do you find that? Do you have a lot of students that come back, and are those? Is that the case that you see students like that that they really are there for the right reason, wanting to learn everything? You know, the coolest part of my job is I get to see this incredible growth of students. Um, when they come to me at orientation, uh, apparently I scare them. I don't know why, but they're scared <laughs> to death. And um, they're, they're freaked out about all of whatever's ahead of them. Um, and so the first year, you know, they, they do good. But, they're, you know, you can tell there, there's a lot of uh, 
nervousness and they see us over in the second year and they're you know oh my god i don't know if i can do that um they're just you know it's very different but then i also teach the culinary internship that's going on right now uh, students have to go get an internship and uh, they meet with me online and we talk about what's going on and there's you know class stuff they have to do for it but what's really cool is that when they come back from that internship and they start the second year, it is exactly what you just described. The maturity level, the confidence level, everything has changed. And um, it's it's almost as if what I like to say, it's a paradigm shift of who they were. Um, they totally understand now why uh, my expectations in the second year are to keep the kitchen clean, keep themselves clean. They understand why I won't put up with a messy workstation or why I'll make them stop what they're doing, clean it up and start over um, because they've already been out there and they've seen uh, professionals um, operate and they realize I want to be at that level too. So when they come back to school, they are, they're a little bit more polished and they're ready to go. Yeah, nothing, nothing replaces that context given in the real world. Right, right. We've become really organized. Um, you know, there there are some great chefs out there that opened the door to how kitchens could run really well uh, in the modern world. And they, they flipped upside down our, our mentality in a good way. Um, you know, if you think about uh, Thomas Keller uh, and what, what he did uh, uh, in, in the restaurant industry, um, I, I, I've been in his kitchens. Uh, and I will tell you, they are pristine. They really are pristine. Wow. Um, I will tell you that there is the roll-down carpet in the in the kitchens. Wow. Um, you know, um, and he was a master at the food, but he was probably also a great master at organization. Uh, and it's super important that that um, I stress that this in my teaching is that organization at the end of the day is what's going to get you through the day. And um, have you ever been to Epic uh, Systems in Verona? No. I think they serve up to 7,000, 6,000 people, up 9,000 maybe per day. Wow. Um, and um, that campus in those kitchens, they don't look like they're serving that many people per day. It, it's organized chaos at its finest. <laughs> Um, and then if you get into places like, remember when El Bully was a big thing, um, and those kitchens out there were like out, everyone could see what was going on. You could literally watch that dance and, um, it's a big deal. We, we have, uh, some of our students have gone on into, uh, Chicago, uh, in, uh, one in particular, one student alumni, um, he is, uh, working at, uh, Alinea. And I think it was him, I can't remember who it was saying, but um, they dropped something on the floor and um, someone came right behind him immediately and picked it up. And it was said, we don't drop things on the floor. Um, I mean, it was really intense. Oh. Um, <clears throat> then there's uh, one of our alumni is the executive chef of the Greenbrier. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that. But the Green Briar is the hotel country club that a lot of famous chefs have passed through. Um, in fact, I was super excited to find out about it, uh, that it was one of our alumni, and I had him as a student. Oh, um, that's fun. Was, is the, 
executive chef for the Green Briar was really cool. But uh, again, those establishments, those places learned that messy, disorganized chaos wasn't going to get the job done. And it always is the single most reason why um, bad food is coming out of a kitchen. Uh, <clears throat> because it is so significant that your workspace, you keep it tight, you keep it clean, um, you will produce better food every single time. Um, it's just it's the nature of the beast. Exactly. I think that's a, a big tip when you talk to even people in your home. And you may know that the oil and the vinegar is over in that cabinet and that the salt and pepper is over here and this other cabinet and on that side of the kitchen is your refrigerator. And to try to do all that running around in the middle when something's on the stove, you're not going to do it. Have your items set. You know, in the kitchen, we talk about the, the formal term, the mise en place, right? That is the chefs live yep. by getting your things ready and everything is in its place. And that just is, makes all the difference in the world. Even at home chefs, it's very important. Absolutely. Uh, my my family knows that uh, I always had a rule, if you're cooking in the kitchen at home, uh, clean as you go. Right. <laughs> um, and so literally when we sit down to eat, there's not a sink full of dirty stuff. Um that I have to sit there and look at while we're eating dinner. <laughs> yeah, my my wife definitely subscribes to that, and she, I'm constantly being chastised for that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so back at the school, speaking of kitchens, you you just did a big renovation a few years back, right? And your your culinary kitchens and campus area that was quite a big deal that you had going on there. We did, um, and uh, Volrath was a huge player in that for us, um, and it was a big deal. Um, so, uh, we basically added on over 6,000 square footage into the kitchen space and, um, put in, uh, state of the art kitchens. Our first year lab has 20 individual workstations for our students with a demo area for, with cameras for the instructor to demonstrate. And then the students go do. Mm -hmm. Uh, they can record those demos and put them on our online learning area as well. We have a, uh, a butcher shop where we can actually hang whole animals and, and butcher them and take care of them. We have a cure room. We have the largest cure room in the state. Hmm. Uh, we've done uh, salami. We've done uh, uh, different types of dried cured meats. Uh, we also ferment in that room as well. I did a batch of koji in there not too long ago. Um and then we have a garbage kitchen area that has uh, a state-of-the-art smoker as well. Our second-year kitchen was designed uh, uh, like a mission-style kitchen. So I always tell people, uh, think of the movie Ratatouille. Um, that helps them get a picture of it. That's why I don't have a lot of hair on top. That rat's been on my head for years. <laughs> um but then um, we have also what I really wanted, uh, and I asked the first time I ever saw one was uh, at Greystone, it's uh, CIA in California, uh, is a demonstration kitchen, and uh, which is where we host the Chef Series. Um, the difference with ours is that um, Greystone was an auditorium style, so it was tiered up in the back and they could look down and watch the chefs do whatever. Uh, we looked at that and realized that the, first of all, the cost of building that would, would be incredible, but by taking the room and, uh, create it so they can be turned into a classroom, to a banquet room, um, any of those things. And all we had to do to make that work was have drop down TVs 
from the ceiling. And so we have cameras that go on to what the chefs are making. That and then all the uh, audience has huge uh, drop-down TVs that can see directly what's being made. Um, in fact, if you ever want to see that, just go to the uh, uh, the Chef Series YouTube page, um, and we've had some phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal uh, interviews in that that room. Uh, the stories the chefs come in and tell us <laughs> will blow your mind. Right, right. that's uh, another area Volrath has helped uh, sponsor uh, the Chef oh, Series yeah. last year. Correct. Yeah, over the last few years. And let me tell you, um, their, their sponsorship is so important because um, we're, we're bringing in guys that um, and gals, uh, both, both genders. Uh, we're bringing in people that are um, have been industry movers and shakers, industry phenomenon. Um, we've had uh, uh, Sean Sherman in, uh, the, the sous chef, uh, S-I-O-U-X. Um, we've had, uh, Michael Twitty. I, I love to share this story, especially right now with all that's going on. Uh, Michael is a, um, uh, a black man that is a food historian. And, um, I mean, this, the stuff he was telling us was just like, this is golden stuff here. Mm-hmm. But one story that has stuck with me, that has just literally stuck with me. And even because of what's going on today, it's like, oh my God. So there was a time when him and his dad were in their car and they were moving into uh, North Carolina. I think they were moving from Mississippi. And Michael, if I messed it up, please forgive me. Um, and as they're crossing the border into North Carolina, big sign that says, Welcome to North Carolina. And right below it, it says, Home of the Clan. The Whoa. entire room was silent. <laughs> yeah. I mean, seriously. And he looked at his dad and said, why are we moving here? And his dad said, I never run away from anything like that. I mean, uh, that is just like one of those moments where you're just like, oh, my God. Wow. Uh, are you familiar with Yi Vang? Yeah, he was a guest yeah. on our show. Yeah, we just, yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. Awesome yeah, dude, great right? Yeah, he is. <laughs> Love Yi. Oh, my God. So, you know, being Hmong and his dad is a huge influence on his life. I don't know if he told the story, but this is another one of these ones. You're just like, are you kidding? You're sharing that here with us. And in that story, he said, um, so he, he, you know, his dad to him at, in younger years was always, yeah, he's my dad, you know, whatever. And I guess him and his brother got a hold of an old vintage Vietnam gun. I forget the type of gun it was, to be honest with you. But, um, so they were they were kind of figuring it out, looking at it, and you know, going to take it apart and clean it up because I guess they got it used or whatever. Dad walks over, picks it up, closes his eyes, disassembles it in about thirty seconds, reassembles it back in thirty seconds, and sets it down. He says and tells the whole audience this: I knew at that moment my dad was Jason Bourne, and he could kick your dad's ass. <laughs> 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 you know yeah. I, I mean that's that's like gold that's material that yeah. you just look at and go wow <laughs> you know? jason Bourne. <laughs> yeah you know yeah. so so the, the series and it was my vision to have this type of thing um i literally knew that um technology 
is the driver of everything we do today. Um, YouTube has like, um, uh, I'll be uh, the first one to tell you, if I don't know how to do something, I'm going to YouTube it. Absolutely. Um, and I do it all the time. So I knew that there were people that were going there to learn how to cook, learn how to be a mechanic, wire up a car, whatever it is they're doing. And so this would be a great opportunity for us to showcase um, our school, our program, plus at the same time have people come to us to give our students an incredible experience because the Chef Series is, a, is an hour-long interview and then an hour-long cooking demo. And so you really get to know these people when they come in. And, um, I mean, to hear those two stories, or we had Rick Tremano tell the entire audience, and I'm pretty sure Rick has told a lot of people this, but he didn't know how to read for a long time. Wow. And it was another chef that figured it out and helped him out. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you can't get that material anywhere. That's gold. You're right. Very cool. Yeah. Very good stuff. I want to know, and I, I ask a lot of chefs this, um, but if you could tell me what was one of your favorite things that you've ever made at any given point in your history? Could have been when you were little to yesterday. Just one of your favorite things that that is always in the back of your mind. Like, wow, I really knocked that one out of the park. <laughs> Wow. Putting you on the spot here. The answer for me is has always been my favorite thing to cook is fresh food. Literally, I, I, I just went out and I picked it or I harvested it or whatever. Um, I mean, I, I can tell you that um, I forage, for example. Um, mm. I forage a lot of different uh, mushrooms and, and things like that. And uh, um it's it's incredible to take that first bite of something you've never had before and you go oh my god that is like incredible i I can't even believe i've never had that before and i guess you know as i'm speaking of it a a few years back um i had harvested some beets out of my garden and i had forged some mushrooms uh from down in our woods and um i thought you know how do i bring these two really cool things together so i roasted the beets and um my usual thing with any of my roasted beets is um my colleague raises uh bees and so he has honey and he has some really good stuff um so i always get honey from him and so um after i roasted the beets i took and uh prepared them with the honey, and I like to use a um, uh, really good champagne vinegar. Uh, Brent brought those two worlds together. And then the mushrooms, we had we had found some uh, chick of the woods. And uh, they do taste like chicken, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I took those and uh, I did a really good saute with them. Um, and I use, uh, some of the garlic I had grown the previous year out of my garden. Uh, and so I, they're all ready to bring together. And then I had found this uh, really cool way to make what's called onion cream. Um, you take a, a whole onion, don't peel it, don't do anything to it. Just put it, wrap it in aluminum foil with some olive oil and roast it. And then, um, 
<clears throat> when it's really good and soft, take it out and just cut the top off a little bit and then pinch the onion into a blender and uh, start pureeing it with uh, olive oil, lemon juice, salt and pepper. Um, and so I did that and so then I took these three ingredients and brought them together, the, the beets, uh, <clears throat> the, the mushrooms and, uh, and then I took that onion cream and just laid it, uh, laid it on top of that. And man, I'm telling you, the earthiness of that dish was unbelievable. And uh, I, I love that stuff. I mean, um, like I found out that UW, I think it was, was trying to come up with a seed to grow beets so they didn't smell like soil. And I'm like, that's the best part. Why would you get rid of that? <laughs> you know, That's part uh, of the whole experience there. Right. Yeah. And literally, when I'm harvesting my beets, I do that. I smell them. I, I want to know what they smell like. Um, so, yeah. Um, so, it, you know, in recent years, that would be a really cool dish that I, that I did. Yeah, I'm so on board with that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that was, uh, wow, a lot of great stuff there. Thank you, Paul, Chef Paul, for uh, joining us here today. But I, unfortunately, we have to wrap things up, I think. Um, but thank you again for uh, taking some time being with us today. Really interesting show and uh, a little insight into what you guys are doing at, at METC. You know, there used to be a day where there was a couple of big culinary schools and, um, you know, you guys are certainly now in that top uh, echelon with those schools. I've been reading a lot about your school and, and some of the great things you guys are doing. So congratulations on that. Any last thoughts uh, for our show today? Anything on the school or anything that's going on? Well, I would just say this. Um, if you are considering going to culinary school, I want you to understand that our two-year program, uh, total cost sits around $12,000 for the entire two years. Uh, that's a great wow. idea. That is a huge it's incredible. difference between um, larger culinary schools uh, that are up to anywhere from 65000 for the same exact two-year program. We just received exemplary accreditation from the American Culinary Federation, our second time getting it. And um, so I'm very proud that we got that. And um I also know what it took to get us there, and I can tell you that for what you're getting for $12,000, that value is, is, is a lifetime of not paying back student loans, for starters, right. um, and mm -hmm. yet you're going to get a quality education, hands down. Um, so for, for, yeah. our, for our college, Madison Area Technical College, um, the culinary arts program, by far, to me, I'm very proud of where we are today and what it costs. And you should be. You guys do a great job there. And, you know, getting people out of school with little or no debt, that, that's fantastic. Get them, let them hit the ground running and, and go on with their careers, right? Very cool. Yep. And we've heard that from, from multiple, multiple chefs about the value and the quality that, that, that they walk away with right. from there. Yep. So, Chef, one more thing we like to ask people uh, on the show is, you know, through our careers, our lives, we've had people that have influenced us. We've had people that have um, given us good words to live by. And any particular quote that you may have that someone told you or you heard that uh, you remember and and, and uh, find useful? Well, this is for people in the food world. This is a quote that um, I could never tell you who the author is, but I use it at the end of my emails. And that is, uh, you're only as good as your last plate of food. 
and in our industry that literally is the truth um, uh, you can talk a big story you can be get all kinds of uh, awards but that last plate of food is what's going to haunt you forever if it's not good that's a fact that is a fact being in the industry you, you know how true that is for sure for that last carved vegetable. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that time again. Justin, any last uh, words from you? Yeah, you know it. I would like to remind everybody to please subscribe to our show. Never miss a moment with another chef or food service industry professional again. And while you're at it, go ahead and share that with your friends. Let them know what we're doing, that you like it, and that you support us. And we would greatly appreciate Absolutely. that. And my little thing is always to make sure everyone knows that if there's something you want us to talk about on the show, comments about the show, please let us know that at walrathfoodservice.com slash the feed. And for everyone that uh, listens to the show, we know that I always have a little bit of advice of my own. At the end, the little quote that I have, and it's just simply don't worry about the other guy and what they're doing. Just keep doing what you do best and no one's going to beat you. Thanks for listening, everyone. Until next time, take care.